Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Again, we're broadcasting live from the EVCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. 706-0111. Other than Coach Glasgow in the 10 o'clock hour, we will have open phone lines if you would like to get in on the game hotline today, continuing to talk about NCAA tournament basketball, the NFL. There, we'll talk a little more about baseball, college baseball, um, LSU, the Cajuns tonight. Um, we'll play McNeese, a team that they lost two five four in Lake Charles last week, and the softball team will play McNeese, a team that they Cajuns beat in the Longhorn Invitational in Austin, 7-1 to on Friday afternoon. So we'll uh, talk about all that. But I, for two things, we got to get some updates, and then we got to try to answer the unanswerable question, I guess, that, that everyone around the country is trying to answer, that it's just, I guess, befuddling. I guess we know what's going on, but, like, how, how is this happening kind of a thing. Um all right, first of all, did we get any results last night that helped or hurt the Cajuns? Um, so, again, nothing necessarily is going to hurt them unless you consider not helping them, hurting them, just yeah. because they are where they are. They're not going to Either for me or against me. We got Right, we know. okay. So then in that case, there was a few that hurt them. Um, you had Oral Roberts win the Summit League uh, in a dominant fashion over North Dakota State. So that was one of the uh, opportunities to potentially move up one, so that didn't happen. Um, and then College of Charleston also won. That one was, again, that one was uh, kind of debatable because Charleston was going to be a hot bubble topic team um, debating on whether they were going to get in or not. But they won, so that puts that out of question anyway. And so now the uh, there's a couple bad results for the Cajuns, but those weren't two that I was expecting to go the other way. Those were probably two of the best bets to actually win those tournaments the other opportunities still are in play in those tournaments most of them haven't even begun yet so you'll see I think Yale in the Ivy League is one to really keep an eye on because Yale would uh, probably be ahead of the Cajuns but they're no you know sure bet to win the Ivy League we'll see Uh, there's a couple of good teams in that conference so they could get challenged the other interesting one is again the, the the MAC which has Kent State and Toledo that are both ahead of UL, but if anyone outside of those two wins that conference, then you get moved up one. Um, the WAC with Utah Valley and Sam Houston State, you're looking for anyone other than those two. And there's a handful of other ones as well that we'll kind of get into as they happen. But so far, night one, Cajuns didn't get anything to go their way. And last night, the World Baseball Classic started, and the Netherlands beat Cuba. Now, I meant to do it this morning, and it just – just didn't happen like I remember initially looking at Cuba's roster 
on paper, you would think that Cuba's better in baseball than the Netherlands, but we looked at Netherlands' roster yesterday, and it was pretty good. Yeah, and I got a little uh, friend of mine chimed in and texted me and let me know Curacao is apparently yes, a, a country where Andrew that, Jones is from. Yes, right. Is yes. um so the the peop, a lot of the players who are from Curacao play for the Netherlands. So yes. you had a bunch of the uh, there's a bunch of guys from Curacao in the league. So that's part of the reason you have so many guys on that Netherlands roster that you'll recognize the names of. And so, uh, I don't know, at some point we're going to look at Cuba. But again, it's also baseball. I mean, the final score is 4-2. to two, and, and we talk about it all the time. Baseball is more of a sport where, you know, I always give the and, – and, I, and I, because I give that example all the time, I probably need to look up the year and be a little more specific. But I remember a year in the early years where – you know, that when they were still the Devil Rays, Tampa finished dead last, lost a hundred game, and they won a season series. It was easy. it was against the, I wanna say the Yankees, but it was whoever finished first one of those years, which in those years probably the Yankees. And like they won the season series. So and you can do that in baseball and the other sports, some stuff like that doesn't really happen. So baseball can you know, you can win even though you're not in the big picture better. And so uh, you know, we'll I would. Uh, I'm looking at the Cuban roster right now. I would probably say the Netherlands would have been the favorite in that game. Cuba's roster. They've got a couple of guys. They got Luis Robert, Joanna uh, Cespedes making a reappearance in baseball on this roster. Um, no, Mets Yoan, fans are like, what in the world's going on here? Joan <laughs> Mancada's on the roster, but there's a lot of guys that you probably wouldn't recognize the names of. So, and then again, as we mentioned, that Netherlands roster had a had a ton of major league players. So. I'm not uh, not too surprised with that. El Pedro Grande is not playing, obviously. He is not. Yeah. He hit a big home run in the World Series from what I remember. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think I heard about that. Seemed like he hit it really far. He hit one in the divisional round as well. Like he hit one, like they have this big green backdrop behind the center field. He hit it over the big green backdrop. Yeah, that would have been a homer in the uh, in the old configuration, huh? Yes, that would have been one of like like Ryan Klesko when he was on steroids and hit it way up in the vines. I mean, it was like in that territory. What was your feeling on Taos Hill? I loved it. I did too. Yeah, I I love uniquenesses in parks, and that was the most overrated yep. criticism. Hey, somebody's going to get hurt. Well, they played for twenty years and no one ever got hurt. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it was just stupid. You had maybe about three balls stuff. a year that got hit over there yeah. anyway, where a fielder actually went up on it. I mean. It just looked cool. Yeah, and then, of course, Berkman makes the famous play up yeah. on the hill. So. I, I thought it was. Um, I also liked that center field was like 600 feet away, too. It felt like you never got a ball out of there. What was it, like 437 or something? 436, I just yeah. Yeah, I just liked that aspect of things. When, of course, it is a short portion left, a short portion right. So they. They really turned it into a hitter's park when they moved it in. but Well, what people don't realize is that's what old school, that's what a lot of old school ballparks look like. They were short down the line. Like the Polo Bobby grounds. Thompson hit around the world home run, That, was, that, that it wasn't even 300 feet down the line. Like that, they, they had a really short porch. So – what I loved about the original configuration of Minute Maid Park is it 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 was it it kind of paid homage to the old ballparks. I think that's cool. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, and, and Polo Grounds, which of course was like not a originally a baseball stadium, so that's why it had such a weird. It was like five hundred and ten in center. Yeah, it was incredible. Two forty, I think, and two seventy down the two, down the line. Right, like that's that. what I'm saying. Yeah, and but then yeah, and I you, you started to get some other ones, but I like a ballpark like that that's conducive to triples too, which you still see some triples in Minute Maid because of that right. The right center gap is kind of weird, and then left center if you get caught. And kind of a little jut, you know, where it juts out. Right. Uh, but I like a ballpark that's got some uh, some weird. First of all, it's the only sport that you know the playing field dimensions are not standardized, which I think is pretty cool and something that's unique about it. Um, and we're not seeing much of it now. Most of the stadiums that get built these days are pretty cookie cutter. Although I guess you know Texas did some. They kind of copied. No, it's made a lot less cookie stuff. cutter than when I was late. You know, I grew up yeah. in the seventies as a kid, and it seemed like every, well, every new ballpark was cookie cutter. Yeah, and, and so then they, you know, Minute Maid was kind of a, a way, kind of a flash in the past where they kind of created all these little nooks and crannies. And yeah. but I just, I really like a ballpark that, a, I mean, I kind of prefer pitcher parks a little bit just because again, I don't really love the, you know, the the what do they call them, the um, one hundred percent outcomes, the home run strikeout game that we have. But then I just like a ballpark where you can hit a ball in a gap and look for three bases. It doesn't happen too much anymore, but uh, it's always exciting when it does. I agree, and I also think it's just flat out. If you if you care about winning, and you and you build a new park that's a popcorn park, like you you don't really care about winning. I mean that's just stupid. Like it's it's difficult. It's too it's difficult enough to get pitching, but if you if you Build a new ballpark and it's a popcorn park. It's like, what are you doing? Help out your pitching staff. It's 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 too difficult to get good pitching to build a new park. I I just think that's stupid. And the Phillies have adjusted it a little bit, but like, the, when you build a new park, like the pretty good American ballpark, you gotta. It's too easy to hit home runs there. Like you gotta you gotta help your pitching staff out. Don't make it that much. Don't make it that hard to pitch. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the, uh, I guess the Yankee logic was that they always knew they were going to be able to attract the biggest power hitters in the game, and they kind of went with that approach, and then we've seen them like kind of stack their lineup. But, um, yeah, it's interesting, too. Minute Maid's kind of turned into, it's not quite the, it's not the most hitter-friendly park in the league, but when they did reconfigure it, they made it a lot more hitter-friendly uh, in that regard, at least a lot more home-run friendly. Well, again, that first year was a complete disaster. But if you throw out the first year, whatever happened, they learn how to pitch there. You can pitch there. I mean, it's not. It, it looks on the surface that it should be hitter friendly, but it's really not. Yeah, and then you know where I'm with you on. I don't really. I, I'm not saying we should take away the franchise because it is what it is now. But I think in retrospect, putting a major league baseball team in Denver, Colorado, oh, no. was probably not a great no. idea. That oh, was terrible. That, it's that, just a little. It's just like an. It's just. It's not even baseball. It's yeah, awful. And, and and now the Rockies haven't been very relevant in any recent memory. But I mean, it just feels like that's not. Especially when you're talking about playoff games and stuff. I just don't feel like that's a place you should be deciding. Yeah, meaningful it, it, baseball. No, games. I agree. All right, so. What am I missing here? And I know there are people all over the country saying this. It seems like what happened yesterday in the NFL was a bunch of franchises lit up a neon scoreboard and said, hey, Mr. Supreme Court Justice, we're colluding. Like, how was, did they, how was that not what they're doing? It was very strange. It was very strange and... 
yeah, the only thing you can maybe think about is these owners have kind of banded together and said we're not giving out another Deshaun Watson type guarantee contract, which is what Lamar Jackson has reportedly been, you know, searching for. But I don't I don't know if I can ever remember a time where a player who, again, by the way, is not actually a free agent. It's not like he is just looking for the best offer right now. Where teams came out with a player who I think is widely regarded as at least a, let's say, a top 10 quarterback in the league. I don't think that would be too controversial to say. And where you had a bunch of different franchises just separately say, we're not interested in that player, even when they weren't like, necessarily. Why would you even say it? That's, that, that, that's exactly the point. my point. It's, like, it's very strange. Even if you, which almost makes me think they're not colluding according to the law, because why would you come out and act like you're colluding? I mean, it's like saying, hello, I just committed murder. Like, I'm the one that shot the guy and holding up a sign. I mean, who would do that? Like, what is going on? Why would all these franchises who need quarterbacks say, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to pursue we're not going to seriously think about giving up two first rounders for him. I mean, that would be the cheap for a, for that level quarterback. It doesn't. It, it's it's again, crazy, yeah. and I haven't seen a great. Now I haven't like been scouring uh, Twitter and the web for stuff. But I the, the most common response I've seen is is what we're saying. What's going on here? Even from like you know the the guys who know about this type of stuff. A lot of people saying, well, what's the deal that why are teams not interested and why are they saying they're not interested? Right. I, again, look, don't get me wrong. If 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 there are if if as a franchise you say, I'm not giving him that contract because one, he's hurt the last two years, and two, he's never really what has he won one playoff game. So now that's with a QW mentality, but I think a lot of franchises have a QW mentality. And so whether I totally agree with that line of thinking or disagree with that line of thinking, I I can understand someone saying, look, they can do it. I understand what they're fascinated with with Lamar Jackson, but I'm not going to do it. That's that's okay. I can understand that mentality. But what I can't understand is five or six – of the teams that need a friend that really need a quarterback, why would you come out and publicly say we're not doing it? I I, I just yeah, and I, I don't why, have an answer for you there. It just doesn't make any sense. And I wonder how many of of these are are confirmed statements, but some of them like were confirmed, right? I mean, I think some of them were actually confirmed by the teams that teams, that was yeah, how they felt. like the know. Falcons. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm happy. Yeah, but I don't. Uh, I'm. Uh, but like, why? Why? If you're the Atlanta Falcons and and you just again they wind and dine Deshaun Watson too, just like the Saints did. Like they were willing to give a crazy contract, just not as crazy as as the Browns. And and again, I think they're look. This is like a um, you know Brown versus the Board of Education for the NFL. Nineteen. You know this is. A precedent setting, um, a precedent setting deal, and so I think we're, I think part of the reason why a lot of us are confused is we're trying we're acting like they're they're this is not like a normal free agency kind of signing. This is like 
the future of the NFL is at stake in the minds of these NFL clubs. And that's why they're doing this. So I understand why they wouldn't. I just don't understand why they would publicly come out and admit that they're not doing it. Right. And 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 so also I don't I don't know. I know we're coming up on a break here. I don't know why I don't know, maybe the NFL owners are a close knit group or something, but and I, I know that at least some of them are, but my other thing is that it only takes one team that's really de- and I would think that the desire to get a quarterback with how difficult that is would outweigh their you know I guess I guess maybe not because I guess the bottom line is the dollars and cents and they don't want to have to be giving up guarantee contracts to everyone and well the Cleveland Browns proved that it only takes one team right and <laughs> yeah. that's why I'm saying I can't believe there's not another now maybe because that didn't because that happened out, but... they're like guys we're in trouble here like I don't know we'll take a break be back this is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Game hotline 706-0111, If you would like to get in, if you have any explanations for what's going on in the NFL, certainly would would like to, to hear it. I, I do think it's a very unique uh, situation, and we'll continue to kind of monitor and see how, how that works out. Now, again, selfishly, my number one concern is not the health of the NFL and the viability of the of NFL ownership. My number one concern is the Saints. And from a Saints perspective, this is good because we don't want Lamar Jackson in the division because two of the teams that theoretically he would be going to um, would be two teams in the Saints division. Now, all the rumors were starting to be that it was Raymond's little team in Washington that that would be getting him, and that's the NFC, but I'd rather him be in that division than my division. Another thing to remember with Washington is if they're going to end up changing ownership or something like that, that might change whatever their approach is, I guess, with that, but we'll wait and see on that. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. I talked about it this morning, and I think – it's more of a gentleman's agreement at this moment right now. Um, you know, I think that, you know, backdoor deals, hey, don't do this. You know, we're not, we have to stick together on this. We can't, you know, we can't let them, you know, we can't have the players running this. You know, if we start letting this happen, boom, 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 and of course the fans are going to take the uh, side of the owners. Um, well, I think what it is is you had the crazy Browns trade. So, I mean, signing with Deshaun. So, they right now, NFL owners can say that's an outlier. But if it happens a second time, then you can't say it's an outlier. And that's why this is so critical for them. How, how much is Josh Allen guaranteed? You know those numbers? Is it one? No, I, I'd have to look. We'll look it up. I, I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, he's not going to get. He's not going to get Deshaun Watson. Like I think. Well, unless, like you said, unless you can find that owner, 
Um, Don't you think the I, Dolphins guy is kind of on an island? I mean, maybe I'm wrong there. I want that style of quarterback. He's Josh Allen. Total guarantee is $150 million out of a total $258 million contract, so nowhere near 100% guarantee. And if you believe the rumors, well, course, and a, course, if you believe the rumors, the Baltimore's offered Lamar that much. Now, again, we don't know which rumor, which, which speculation is accurate because we've heard, we've heard a lot, you know, just because someone reports it doesn't mean it's true. I think last year, another thing too. Everyone keeps saying, "Oh, you know, two years in a row he's been injured." Man, that man, I think he could have played. I'm not. I'm not. I think it was more of a, a, a business move. Like, yeah, I could play, but hey, I don't want to jeopardize it. And then, you know, I don't want to death uh, Dak Prescott, even though Prescott got paid in the sense. Uh, I don't want to. You know, I can get hurt, so I'd rather get hurt with a guaranteed contract than uh, playing on his rookie deal. Right. Um, in that sense. Uh, I believe some some people report saying that you know he need an agent. That's why the situation is kind of crazy. You know, I know uh, the linebacker; he doesn't have an agent. Uh, Smith, I think uh, the one they just signed to a right. contract. But you know, I'm sure his deal is not full. Is that deal fully guaranteed? I seriously doubt it. You know, no, no. Um, also, hey man, I want I'm gonna let you go. I want to retire or something. You know, I used to say something with a third caller. You know, and then. You know, you was like, okay, come on. I want to retire that. No more of that. But I want to bring it back up. And I'm and to, uh, today's first player is Mike Greenwell. <laughs> I know you remember him, right? Oh, absolutely. I had him on my fantasy team multiple times. Slick left-handed hitter for the Red Sox. Yep. So you get so you know what I'm doing. Yes. <laughs> All right. right. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, LSU baseball. They played. You know, I, the one thing that I, I'll give it is that at least they played a bunch of run rule game. Like, they actually executed or activated the red rule, the run rule. And I know I, I would think that's a little bit uncomfortable because if you're a coach, like, before a game, it'd be, I guess it'd be kind of uncomfortable to ask another, like, do you want to do the run rule? And the other coach is thinking, well, you think you're going to beat us by 10 runs? I mean, you think you're going to crush our face? I mean – I guess it, but I just think if you do it as an every game thing, like a gentleman's agreement, like that term Jay just brought up before the game, you say, "Look, I don't. We might lose, but I'm just saying, if it gets out of hand, do you want to do a run rule? I think that's a good thing in these midweek games. Yeah, I. You know, my thing has been like, I don't, I don't hate the run rule. I, I like, I don't have, I don't think especially with saving pitching and player health and safety at the forefront of everybody's agreements. The one that's been a little weird to me is the softball run rule because it's what? It's only eight after five, and it's always in play, right? And I think in most situations that's fine and that's acceptable. But occasionally you get this situation, and especially in like tournament play, and you might have a – like because, okay, an eight noth- a game that's eight nothing after five innings, like, okay, we'll probably call that. But what if a game is 16 to eight after five innings? Who's to say eight runs is – We've seen teams score eight runs in three innings. Yeah. So, in my opinion, in tournament play, I think unless the other coach goes to the, you know, again and says, yeah, look, we, we probably are outmatched here and we're not really expecting. Like, I, I don't think eight runs after five innings should be a run rule. But in baseball, and yeah, if it's not tournament play, I'm talking conference tournament or NCAA tournament, then I'm fully fine with the run rule in any game. Yeah, so that part was good. Now... LSU is playing Lamar tonight. Um, 
every time I think of Lamar baseball, I think of an experience I had in a conference tournament there. It was It was pretty dicey. That was back in the days. A lot of people may not around here may not remember that, but Kevin Millar, who's on MLB a network and a pretty famous baseball announcer, if you follow Major League Baseball at all, him and Bruce Avon were the two players. I want to say Avon played third and Millar played left, if I remember correctly. That was over 30 years ago. But anyway, they were on that Lamar team with Jim Gilligan, who was there forever. So I have some Lamar baseball memories for sure. But Lamar's 10-2. and two. Uh, They beat A&M. They beat Kansas State. Uh, they beat New Mexico State. They're, they they lost two out of three to Penn. And like Penn's another one of those teams. I, I don't I don't I, I don't know that I could name you. I'm sure there's been some, but I don't know that I could name you a famous major league baseball player from Penn. But uh, but I'm but what I'm saying is Lamar's had some nice wins this year, and over Power Five teams. So. You know, that, I don't, it doesn't sound like the Lamar game is going to be like the Central Connecticut game or they, and again, you, I know LSU is really, really good, but you still want to be challenged some. I mean, I mean, you know, you don't want to, if you're LSU, you don't want to have a Cajun softball kind of schedule. I get that, but yeah. So I think it'd be good if they got tested tonight. I yeah, and, and Lamar was 37 and 21 a year ago. And again, they're in what, I believe the Southland, Southland still. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's not a, uh, that's got, you know, some McNeese is a good program. Southeastern's a good program. Yeah. But I learned my lesson when I was trying to say Central Connecticut State was a decent program. So I'm going to not say that about Lamar <laughs> and just expect LSU to 10 run rule. Because I thought, uh, <laughs> look, I really, I, they had a good year last year. They're projected to be a decent team, and maybe LSU's that much better than everyone else, although, and and that could be the case, but giving up 26 runs in a game was not a good look for my... Uh, no, it was it was pub ball. Now, over the weekend, LSU plays <clears throat> Samford, and they're 6-6, six and six and, uh, you know, they lost to Southeastern by two, two out of three, but they had beat Southeastern, so that means they're pretty good. I mean, like you said, Southeastern's had a good program for years, Uh they lost two out of three to Memphis, but they beat them once. So I don't think Sanford's going to be like Butler in Central Connecticut State. But um, and they played Alabama. Their last game was against Alabama. They lost eleven to six. It's not great, but it's not twenty-five to four either. So um, you know that'll be somewhat. Uh, this week should be a little more competitive is the point for LSU. And, again, if I'm an LSU fan, I want some competition. You, you know, just crushing people's face, I don't think that helps either. I'm just not a big fan of those games. Yeah, the, the only thing, too, to remember, though, it, is if they, if, they, if they don't get tested, which there's a chance they don't, and, and they blow, you know, all of these opponents out this week again. The thing is with the SEC and how big it is now, which we'll see what they do when – you know, you get a couple of no, new teams at it again. SEC play starts next weekend. I mean, they, they play A&M next weekend. So this is it. If you talk oh, yeah. about getting tested <clears throat> before conference play, you got Sanford, and then you're going to play UNO in midweek, and then you're going to College Station. So we'll find out. We don't have to wait that much longer to kind of find out further, which, again, I don't think there's any doubt. We know this team is definitely, I would say, top 10, probably top 5. Are they the best team in the country? I think they are right now, but we'll find out. Yeah, pretty soon. yeah. I mean, and again, <clears throat> I'm not saying it from a 
boy, if they don't get tested, we don't know how good LSU is. It's not about LSU needs these games to get better so much. It's just like, you know, it's just hard to have any interest in a game where you know it's just going to be a complete bloodbath. I mean, it's just, you know, bah. But, uh, no, like you said, once SEC play starts, all that blah stuff's over with. And so they'll they'll have plenty of opportunity. We'll have plenty more to talk about LSU baseball once that starts. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. on this Wednesday, a busy Wednesday. Lots of baseball here locally. We were just talking about LSU's week in baseball. They play Lamar tonight and then Sanford over the weekend. The Cajuns play McNeese tonight and then High Point, and obviously not a lot of us know anything about High Point, but when I did look at the preseason conference, like they, the Cajuns just got beat by Campbell two out of three. Campbell was picked to win that league. High Point was like in the top four or five. Like they, they are not a uh, – I don't – I don't remember exactly where they were picked. Maybe somewhere third, fourth, fifth, somewhere right in there. They weren't first or second, but they weren't near the bottom either. And so I think they're a pretty good program. Obviously not as good as Campbell. At least the Cajuns are probably hoping not because Campbell was a handful. And and we thought that the Campbells would be really good. And um, they were really good. And so – you know, we'll, we'll, I, I, what I'm saying is I don't think that's just going to be three easy games. I, I think the Cajuns are going to have to play to win that series. Um, that's obviously a pretty good baseball league. And so um, we'll look, see see what, what they do for that. I I, um, I did not expect them to be starting Ben Tate tonight. Again, I have a lot of questions about this team's bullpen. And, you know, we – we certainly like <clears throat> what we've seen out of a couple guys like a Blake Marshall, but Tate's a guy that they need to really step up. He's a guy that, you know, could be a potential option, middle to late relief, and you need those guys. Like, you don't need them every weekend, but it, it, it's hard. It's very difficult to win a league or finish in the top two or three of a league that's this good and win a conference tournament unless you have, you know, a bullpen that can cover a lot of bases, can fill a lot of holes, that can answer. You know, you're going to have games where your starting pitcher, you know, only goes two or three innings. You don't want the you don't want a lot of that, but you're gonna get some of that as the season goes on. So you have to have 
long relievers. You know, it's one thing to throw out the term Johnny Holstaff, but you got to have those guys to have a true Johnny Holstaff. So um, it is, you know, going to be interesting to see what, what Ben does and obviously his control, like a lot of guys on the staff, is what uh, is the big issue. All right. Uh, getting a text here, we kind of hinted at this earlier, and it was—it's not a surprise that McNeese has decided to fire its head men's basketball coach, John Aiken. Now, I wonder, it, what would they have done if he had won the tournament? I guess they still would have fired him because they only won like nine games this year, but. Yeah, it's that's a tough thing. I mean, I I, I referenced a story about a Tulane coach that I uh, that we were around the you know I was from New Orleans, right? So followed it where they had kind of leaked that he was getting fired out to the media during the conference tournament, and then they started winning games in the tournament, and it became a really awkward kind of situation where people were saying, <laughs> now is he saving his job? If they win the tournament, does he save his job? And this and that, and they ultimately ended up firing him anyway. But it was. Uh, it was weird. At least with this McNeese situation, they were able to play through the tournament without anything. Again, I, I don't know. Maybe they made the decision this morning, or maybe they had already made up their minds. But well, if it happened this quick, it's pretty obvious they've already made up their right. They had so made then, up their mind. So then I, you know, yeah, you wonder if they would have because uh, they weren't that far away, right? They were a win last night and another win they would have had to have today away from doing <clears> it because <throat> they won the first two games, which no one even ex- again they were a minor miracle away from missing the tournament altogether. In Northwestern State, they beat once earlier this year. Yeah, so it, it and wasn't... they barely beat UNO, right? So it was not that unrealistic. Yeah, but um, I guess now we'll never know, and McNeese is going to move in a new direction. <clears throat> so we will, um, we will see how that plays out. But yes, uh, John Aiken is no longer the head basketball men's basketball coach at McNeese. I remember when the Cajuns played him back in December. And he, he looked pretty frazzled then. You know, that was in December. And they, they you know, they played such a brutal schedule early. And at that time, you were thinking, yeah, their, their record is really bad. But they played the Cajuns tough. I mean, they could have won that game. <clears throat> and that was, you know, after they had played all these this brutal schedule. So it was so hard to know how their season was going to turn out just because – you know, when you play a brutal schedule, you don't know what that really means. And so, uh, but, you know, they kept getting injured. And, again, they only ended up with seven players at the end. And it, they didn't win a lot of close games. And so it was tough for them. Yeah, and you can, you know, it was a year where, again, they were awarded the opportunity to host the conference tournament. There was a lot of momentum feeling like that this was going to be a big year for them. So, for that to all come kind of crashing down and, and for them to play as poorly as they did, they they did make a nice run at the end there. And, again, they won a couple of games <clears> to get <throat> into the Southland Tournament, which was impressive. They got some help, too. Again, it was, a, it, was a, it was a long list of things they needed to happen to even get in. They got in, and then they backed it up by winning a couple games. But you imagine that uh, the administration over there was, was expecting this to be a much bigger year given the hosting of the tournaments and things like that. And the Cajuns have been playing McNeese. Well, they don't play much in football, okay? But they've played in most other sports for quite a while. 
uh, baseball and softball, which makes total sense because they're so close and they're, McNeese is really good in those sports. Uh, they play in women's basketball. They don't play all the time in men's basketball. So you wonder what a new head coach coming in, if, if they're going to be playing anymore. I, I'm kind of thinking Cajuns won't be playing McNeese much in men's basketball in the, in the near future, depending on who the new coach is. Well, I've always been of the – and I don't know how Coach Marlin does his scheduling and what it is, and I know some of the non-Division One games are the ones that drive me insane, and I, I get he has his reasons for scheduling those, but I would love to see some of the more competitive Louisiana – I think Tulane is, some, is a team who is now building up a pretty nice program. Ron Hunter, former Sunbelt coach at Georgia State, who's now over there. <clears throat> I'd like to see the Cajuns play a more challenging non-conference schedule year in and year out. A year like this year, I would have – you know, again, they had they that one game. They didn't get against... along too well when he was at a Georgia Yeah, no, State. I know that. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's something that probably would benefit both programs where they're both at right now. It's just like this year specifically with how good this team was, they had a couple nice tests. Look, going to Drake, who ended up winning their conference and winning 26 games or so as well. They went to SMU, who they probably thought was going to be a lot better. That's usually a pretty good program. Um, but then they had the one big game against Texas and then – as far as the home schedule, you played Louisiana Tech, who actually had a bit of a down year. I just felt like there was there's more opportunities to test this program in your general vicinity, and I hope that scheduling-wise moving forward that they can kind of uh, – and I don't know if McNeese is a part of that until they get things going, but maybe they are, and so we'll see what happens there. Um, I wonder what happened to Tech because they had some good players back. Yeah, they, they, I mean, I will say one thing. Conference USA is a very good basketball league right now, and Florida Atlantic is uh, going to be projected as like a <coughs> seven or an eight seed in the tournament. They're going to be a really good team, and so I guess that's part of it. But, yeah, I think they were supposed to be a little better than they ended up being, which, and even when they played you out, of course, that took a big comeback. That was a nice early season win for the Cajuns because they were uh, trailing by, I think, double digits early in that game, and then they ended up coming back and winning it, and that's kind of the first time I sat there and said, all right, maybe this Cajun team's a little different than years past. One thing, you know, Coach Marlin has had his critics over the years, but one thing, they have always played well against Louisiana Tech. I mean, they haven't always won every game, but they have played very well over the years against Louisiana Tech for sure. All right, we'll take a timeout. Be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. If you would like to get in, we've talked NFL. We gave you the news about McNeese firing its head men's basketball coach. We've talked LSU baseball, a little bit about um, Cajun baseball, any of those things you would like to discuss. So 
is there any is there any NFL team that didn't officially say that they're not pursuing Lamar Jackson? I mean, were the Raiders on that list? Like the Raiders have always been, you know, y'all can do what y'all want. We're going to do what we want. And so, of course, the Raiders, I think, are probably after Aaron Rodgers as well, I would I would think. The Raiders were on the list of teams that reportedly said that said they were they're not, not going to do it. It was Man. the Raiders, the Commanders, the Falcons, and the Panthers. <clears throat> you know, I was flipping and saw one of these, you know, NFL shows, and James Jones is a guy – who who played with Aaron Rodgers? I I sometimes I put a little more stock in what someone is saying who was at least a who was a teammate of the guy and they I think they kind of kind of get along at least they might have a little more insight of what's going on. Um, of course, with that said. David Carr acted like, man, it's going to take a long time before Derek signs, and that's his brother, you know. So, you know, it wasn't like a short amount of time, but it certainly didn't take a long time. I mean, he signed, you know, well before the, the you know, the the middle of the March deadline for free agents. So, you know, that you don't know what that, but, but, but he still thinks that he signed, he's staying with Green Bay. I just... I haven't heard many other people say that, that they think he's staying with Green Bay. It well, is. <clears throat> we finally at least got some type of report that he at least supposedly met with the Jets this week. He did. So, <clears throat> you know, is he just kind of probing the uh, the options here and just making a well-educated, thought-out decision? Maybe that's the case, and maybe he's still leaning Green Bay. Or, you know, I, I don't know. The thing, too, is that we we just really can't guess with Rodgers. You know, there's some guys who have a predictable past that we can maybe, And I guess if you want to go by his past, every time this situation's come up, they've worked it out. So maybe you can go with that. But uh, I just I don't even want to attempt to try to guess where Rodgers' head's at. And I think uh, when we find out, we'll find out. I, I would If I had to make a guess right now, I, I would still say the Jets just because I think the Jets are maybe going to move with a little more desperation now now that they lost out on Carr and they lost out on, you know, I guess they're big fish in supposedly Derek Carr, even though that's not the guy who was their first priority, and that's right. probably why they didn't get him. But it's, uh, I mean, that's a huge domino to fall, too. When you talk about the NFC playoff picture, it is funny how how far up Derek Carr can end up in the NFC quarterback power rankings if all these guys end up where uh, with some of these rumors now. Daniel Jones and Geno Smith both return. But again, I think Derek Carr's a guy you put right up there with those guys. They don't have enough of a proven track record to say that they're better. And 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 we talked about it, and it happened since yesterday's show ended. That Daniel Jones got forty million on the nose. Forty million. On so the nose. again, as I as I kind of said, I I don't want to be uh, propping myself up here, but let's let's see these other quarterback contracts, and then we can revisit Derek Carr. I think already you're looking at a better situation. The Saints didn't. And again, overpaying is relative to what the player ends up producing. So it's it's, you know, I can sit here and say with some of these MLB contracts, and I and I will, you know, I think some of them are silly. What 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 the uh, what the Padres have been given out, right? But at the same time, 
And I think those are also fair to say because they're giving out, they're they're paying guys in the 2030s, a decade that's seven years away. Derek Carr, when you're paying a guy for four years, three years, if he produces, you're going to be fine with that contract. So we'll we'll see. Oh, I, 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 absolutely. Now, the thing about the Giants, because they also franchised the running back, Barkley. So they're kind of going all in, and I don't blame them for you know being aggressive. But one of the things that gets teams in trouble is if you do a good job of taking advantage of a weak schedule, if you play a tougher schedule that the next year you better be ready for. Yeah, and they've still I think the rest of the Giants offseason becomes now attacking that receiver position that's been such yes. a now they already cut Kenny Galladay, who they had signed to a monster deal and that just never worked out. A guy who was so productive and talented with the Lions, dealt with some injuries both places and just never, even when he was healthy with the Giants, which wasn't often, just wasn't able to produce. So they cut they've already moved on from him, so we'll see what they do. They they traded Kadarius Tony last year. During the season of the Chiefs, now they cut Kenny Galladay, so they're going to basically try to redesign their entire wide receiver room in an offseason. Is that going to be enough? Do you have enough pieces for Daniel Jones? Like right now, that's my biggest worry with them. I, even though Daniel Jones had a nice, solid year, who's he got to throw to? And, and we'll see. I'm sure they're going to spend draft picks and free agency money if they have it on those, you know, on that position. You know, they, they, they need to, to draft one. All right, that's it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. On this Wednesday, again, we've talked baseball and softball, college level. We talked a very little bit about the world Baseball Classic, once again, the American team begins playing that on Saturday evening. Um, against England, and it's on Fox. They're going by Great Britain for this tournament. Oh, okay. You know, Great that Britain. confuses me, too. I, I, I don't know. I, I've been ex- It's been explained to me before, and I, I kind of, uh, it's about the country and then the, you know, the combination of the, other countries and then you also have the United Kingdom which you know refers to a few more countries and but it does say Great Britain for the uh, schedule so yeah that that, that makes sense I'm good with that (laughs) um and college basketball obviously Cajuns are still celebrating the Sunbelt Conference tournament title over South Alabama as they wait until Monday to As they wait until Monday to, I mean, well, Sunday night to see who they're going to be playing and where they're going to be going. And here's hoping for Birmingham on Friday. I mean, 
I guess if you're going to have a wish, you might as well make it specific. Yeah. So I'm hoping for Birmingham on Friday, a day game. Can we do that? Uh, we should. Can we be I mean, that look, specific with our little wish list? You got a seed and an opponent you want to throw in there as well? <laughs> uh, I thought we came up with one of the two of those. Yeah, we've talked about some of the best. I think 13 is your number you're looking for as a seed, by the way. I think that's your most realistic. Again, if you got to 12, you'd be ecstatic. That would take a lot of chaos, and yesterday didn't help that. So 13 is the seed you're looking for. We kind of talked about some of the opponents they'd like or dislike. But, again, even those are going to fluctuate because a couple of those teams are going to be playing in conference. Well, most all of them are going to be playing in conference tournaments and potentially kind of moving up and down seed lines if they win or lose early on. So uh, I do have for you the NCAA tournament records by seed. It's not as drastic as I thought it was. And I think the recent numbers kind of change this. So maybe later in the week or early next week. Again, we have plenty of time. Yes. Uh, once we know the seed, I can give you that. But you do go, obviously you go up as you uh, get into a better seed situation. So 14 seeds are 18 and 110 uh, in the first round. So obviously not great odds there. Any of these lower seeds, you're still looking for an upset, right? 13 seeds, 28 and 100. So uh, almost about a, about a 10% increase in, in chance to win the game if you go up to a 13 seed. And then 12 seeds are 44 and 84 all time. Um, here's the interesting thing. 12 seeds, if they get to the second round, are almost even 500, 31 and 42. Maybe not quite almost, but fairly close to even 500 yeah. in second round games, whereas 13 seeds in the second round are just 9 and 40. So for whatever reason, and I guess some of that has to do with if you're a 13 seed in the second round, you're playing. But actually, in theory, you'd be playing a better team as a 12 seed. The 12 seeds, when they win games, they tend to win two and make the Sweet 16 uh, as opposed to just the one game. And if I'm if I'm doing the math there, 44 times a team's won in the first round, 31 of those teams ended up in the round. I don't know. That's Is that exactly. because 12 seeds are normally... Um either really, really good mid-majors or powerhouse teams that were on, I mean, power five teams that were on the bubble that are really maybe hot teams that were injured earlier in the year, that well, kind of thing. Well, now the way they do it, the power, the the last four in, so to speak, are all 11, 11 seeds. seeds. So yeah. in theory, yeah, it's always your... But I'm saying early on in this process, were they 12 yeah, seeds? Yeah, because this goes back to 1984. Yeah, early so on in the process, I think very, a lot of them were 12 seats. Right. and uh, But, as again, I'm going to try and find you like a 5- or 10-year sample size because I know recent history, 12 seats have been even better than historically. The 12 seats have been very, very good for a long time now, like in, in recent memory. So that's something to keep an eye on. Again, I don't think the Cajuns get to 12, but maybe they do. But regardless, you get a big increase from a 14 seed to a 13 seed, and that, of course, makes sense. But that's a... For me, that's a big threshold, especially when you start talking about top 10 to 12 teams versus a team that's between 14 and 20. you got a much better chance of beating one of those teams. And we also talked about the news that John Aiken is no longer the head men's basketball coach in McNeese and how that played into future potential Cajun scheduling. For instance, you know, we talked about the Tech, you know, McNeese, the Cajuns played UNO again this year. I don't I don't know how long that series is going to be going on. You know, the perception or the talk is that UNO uh, doesn't want to continue to play the Cajuns, and I, I don't really blame them. Um, and so, you know, that's something we talked in, about in the past, how Tulane, you know, Dawson mentioned scheduling Tulane. Tulane doesn't want to do a home-and-home. And so, 
you know, if you're the Cajuns, why would you not at least want a home and home with, with, with you know, kind of like they do with Louisiana Tech? I mean, I would think the rela- the 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 kind of game schedule that you play with Tech should be very similar to what you would do with Tulane. So I I, I get that as well. Then there's this rumor, and there's a rumor out there uh, that the next head coach in McNeese is going to be former LSU head coach Will Wade. So if that happens, I mean, if you don't think Coach Marlin and Ron Hunter like each other, um, you know, so I, I don't know how that's going to happen as well, you know, if that, if there's any truth to that rumor. Um, but, and so... Um, It will it it'll be it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Look, I it that's one thing that's so great about bait college baseball and softball is the scheduling is so much easier. Um it's just, you know, you softball and baseball teams are more willing to play people. And women's basketball, they're willing to play people. But in men's basketball, it's just it's just not nearly as many that seem to be willing to play and to it's it's I don't know. It's um it's more complicated. So we'll see how that sounds like it could be getting even more complicated for men's basketball scheduling in the future. So now while you you know Right now, what you should be doing is enjoying going to the NCAA tournament, being a part of Selection Sunday. But yeah, I don't, I don't know that the scheduling thing that we brought up earlier is going to be, it's going to get more clearer. It sounds like it's getting more complicated real soon for the Cajuns. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, how you doing, Kevin? Good, sir. If I could change back to baseball for a second, you were speaking in the last hour about these midweek games and. You know, like I say, some of them should be like a technical knockout or something. Well, I just so happened I was curious. Campbell is playing Tulane. And I saw Campbell on Sunday in person, and I saw one of the other games on the on TV, I guess. And I was very impressed with him. So I know Tulane doesn't have a good year so far, but suppose they've been playing all on the West Coast. Well, anyway, at the end of the sixth inning, I mean, that's when I started looking at it. It was 12 to 2 in favor of Campbell. So I'd go back and forth. All of a sudden, the game was, uh, it was in the, uh, going into the ninth inning. I'm just saying that the announcers, one of them was Ron Swoboda, said that Tulane doesn't have any pitchers warming up. They've already used nine pitchers, and they got to play again tonight, Wednesday. And then they got midweek games coming up. So, um, this guy for Tulane couldn't find the, the plate. Right. He winds up, the bases get loaded. And so what they did was, just for a change of look, they put either the shortstop or the second baseman into pitch. In the very first pitch, the guy hits a triple off the wall, so cleans the bases. So the, the last time I looked, it was 17-2. to two. Well, I mean, that game, there was maybe 50 people in the whole place. And it was just like if any game needed a technical knockout or some other yeah. rules, it was it was that game. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think that. yes, I agree. Yeah. And Campbell, I'm telling you, 
uh, I watched through the lineup twice, and just a few of the guys, they were playing all that sucks. They were, like, giving these guys a rest. So I just don't tell them what the school, school will be tonight, but Campbell's a very good team to begin with. But, uh, but anyway, <laughs> I'm sure everybody was glad that game was over. Absolutely. So, anyway, that's all I have. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks. No, it's um, I I think the run rule, but again, you'd have to, I don't, know, I guess, do that craftily. But um, no, I I think in those matchups, it, it, no one really wants to be out there when it gets to seventeen to two. I I I agree with you there, but um, hopefully that again, Lamar, you know, I don't know what their pitching depth is like, but they have some good wins, so at least they should be able to compete, and it wouldn't, it won't may not be that ugly with. With LSU tonight, and um, McNeese has won five in a row. The Cajuns, I'm sure, are going to want to get a little revenge after not playing particularly well um, in Lake Charles last week. But we'll see how 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 that game plays out. So, in a lot of these matchups, it's not going to happen. But a lot of them, yeah, it's just it's time. Let's go. <clears throat> let's um. Let's um. Just have run rules and it just makes things a lot easier we'll see how that plays out over you know this one more weekend but once you get to conference play now that that's not to say you're not going to have any blowouts in conference play that happens every once in a while but run rule doesn't come up as much in conference play uh maybe one game out of the three here and there you'll have a game i mean that happens where you where you get your face crushed but um you know the Sun Belt is really good, and obviously the SEC is really, really good. So, you know that that you know you won't have that mindset anyway going into uh, conference weekends. In softball, there's still a few teams at the bottom of the Sun Belt that lend itself to like if they played occasions to being a run rule situation. But uh, as Dawson mentioned, base in softball, that's that's there all the time. So it's kind of an understood thing. Um, for, for, for softball. All right, let's do this. We'll take a timeout. And speaking of softball, we'll be talking with UL head softball coach Jerry Glasgow next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote at The Game. We have with us UL softball coach, Jerry Glasgow, how are you, sir? Doing good, Kevin. Well, I didn't get a chance to go to the weekly press conference because I was in uh, Pensacola covering the Cajuns winning the uh, Sunbelt Conference men's basketball tournament on their way to the NCAA tournament. Lots of excitement there. But it sounds like you were, um, you know, pretty good spirits coming out of the Longhorn Invitational. Well, we lost two games to Texas, so I'm not in real good spirits. No, but uh, first off, congratulations to Coach Marlin and that basketball team. I mean, that has been—they've had a great season. They have 
they've been fun to watch. You know, my wife and I were able to sit and watch that whole game at home on the TV, and and that, that was really a that was just a fun night, you know, and no better guy than Coach Bob, and and fun to see that come to him and his staff and those players like Jordan Brown, them that come back in a year in a in a era when everybody just flips around every which way, and it was really good to see uh, Jordan Brown back here this year and and lead us to another conference championship. So that was super exciting for for me personally to watch that um now back to softball yeah we we you know we took care of mcneese i like that uh princeton was a salty ball club we were able to get a good win there we were able to beat tennessee uh state or tennessee tech or whatever it was that we should beat um but i want to win against i want to get to where we can win against these teams like texas and we fell short there um there was things i was pleased with in the games and there was things that I was just pointing in the games, and we just got to keep grinding, you know. We worked last night, had a good practice. We got a big game tonight against McNeese. We will be a super – this is a super dangerous game for us tonight. It's almost a trap game with us coming off of Texas and got Florida right ahead of us and leaving early in the morning to head to the airport. So this game's kind of stuck in the middle of it, and you don't even – you know, it's just it could be a trap game real easy. So we got to get focused here and play a big game tonight. I agree. You know, one of the things that you mentioned in the because I heard the tape of it that that I said, you know what, that's true. You 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 y'all have done a good job of beating who you're supposed to beat so far. And again, we we all know how good McNeese is, and yet it's still a game that most people feel like you're ahead of McNeese as good as they've been and as much success as they've had. And frankly, they've had some success against y'all. I mean, they've beaten y'all more than once, so it's not like it would be a total shock. But for a young team that's still trying to find themselves, you have done a good job of of at least beating the people that on paper you should beat. Yeah, McNeese is always dangerous, you know. We lost to them a few years ago here at home with Summer Ellison pitching. They hit a home run, I think, in the eighth inning. And then we lost to them last year in 15 innings or 14 innings over at McNeese. I mean, they're just a dangerous ball club. They beat Washington, who's in top 10 ranked team right now, or top 12 ranked team, I think. Uh, they just beat Washington. He's a, he's a very good coach. They've got really good, talented athletes, and they're dangerous. And here's the, the trap game for us is, we played them twice in the fall. I think we beat them. I don't know. We beat them easily, like ten to two and thirteen to one. Then you beat them last week, seven to two. At some point, that game will you'll you'll not get those. You'll not get that offense early, and put a, a separation in you, and you end up being in this two to one or one to two game late in the game, fourth, fifth, sixth inning. And then the the, the hard thing to keep out of a, a dugout is that feeling of oh man, you know. The, the odds have finally caught up with us where we beat them, you know, we beat the Thunder out of them for 21 innings, and now all of a sudden we're in a dogfight for a two- or three-inning game where anything can happen, and your team let down, and that's what we can't happen. We got we got We need to come out early, take control of the game, and do the exact same thing we've done the first three times we played McNeese this year. And hopefully that's the way it'll go, but if it doesn't and we get in that late-inning game where it's tight, that's where you can get in trouble as a ball club. So hopefully that that won't happen. Um, hopefully, you know we can play a, a routine game and and let our talent uh, do enough to to win the game. 
How worried, how worried, Coach, are you about the girls at this point? Y'all been traveling a lot lately. You've got another tough trip to Florida this weekend. Uh, that that they're starting to get a little fatigued, not just physically, but maybe a little mentally. Or you think they're hanging in there pretty well? No, I'm really worried. I mean, I'm really, really worried that, that the mental stress is really uh, a real thing for the young kids, especially. And, and even the older kids that are, you know, are playing, there's no doubt, like, we have to be sensitive to um, confidence levels of the players. These are these are hard games to, to play and just keep competing, and you're on the road. And we knew the schedule was going to be super tough. We knew that the numbers, you know, I knew the batting averages and the home runs would go down. I said that before season started. But, you know, I didn't realize, like, the ERA of the pitching staff is – you know, it's very concerning when you see what's happening there. And we've got to, you know, we got to be, uh, I've got to be sure the team knows, like, we're in their pocket. Uh, and we're, we, we're going to support them. We're going to push them and to keep working hard, which we have to do. But at the same time, we got to, like, understand, like, this is not an easy schedule. And as long as they can keep winning all the others, we're fine. You know, RPI-wise this week, we're 21 or 22. Uh, you know, our average RPI loss is nine. Now, you think about that. That's that's pretty an amazing number. <laughs> when you've lost eight games and the average RPI of those uh, losses is nine. And so that, that I guess Michigan is around 30 to 40. And then everybody else is not just a top 25 team. Those teams are all top 17. You know, you're – UCLA is number one in RPI. Obviously, they're number two in the poll to Oklahoma, but they're 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 pretty unquestionably the second best team in the country. And if they aren't, Oklahoma State is, and they're the third best team. And right. You've got a loss to them, and then you got Florida State and Arkansas in there at five and six, and then you got Texas, that's a solid top twelve team. Some people would say top ten team, but nobody would argue that Texas is not a top twelve team in the country right now. So. Those are good losses. They're not losses that hurt us. Where they hurt you is when you start feeling that, that you know, you feel like a failure when you can't afford to feel like a failure. You just got to feel like a competitor that things didn't go our way and we got to figure out a way to make them go our way. So it's, it's a tricky, tight rope that we're walking right now. All right. After the Texas weekend, did you make any uh, – are you closer to – you know, any more stability defensively or answer any questions lineup-wise or defensively, do you think? Mm, yeah, I, I think it's a process. Like, it's 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 a process of figuring out what and where and when and who. But, like Lauren Allred now, it has to be in the consideration to start. What she's done is amazing. You know, 11 at-bats and she's not struck out. In any of those 11 at-bats, she's hit three home runs and only 11 opportunities to play. So the players themselves are, like, changing the lineup a little bit. Um, and that, that doesn't create stability. That creates instability in the lineup. And and you know what? What settles your lineup is winning and finding a combination that you feel really comfortable with, really confident in, and – Unfortunately, in those big games that I'm looking at and the games that we're emphasizing, that we're prioritizing, that that hasn't happened. So you're not going to see 
a real solid, stable lineup that we go out there and win six, eight games in a row or six out of seven games and we really get on a roll. But I, I do think that we've got players that have firmly put themselves in the lineup this week that, you know, weren't in the lineup last week. And so that's kind of where we're at. You know, early on when you mentioned Maddie at third in the preseason to me, I was like, man, I, I don't know. Is that really, you know, can you afford to do that? But now after following the season and seeing a hand, you know, fair amount of games, I don't know if you can afford not to have her at third. Where, where are you in that process? <laughs> we're we're not there. We're, we're, we think we can – Win with her at third, we think we can win with her in the outfield. One thing that's come to light in the last week to 10 days is that she's more comfortable in the outfield in the games, and that's, that's a big factor right now. You're talking about the kid that's one of our best players. When we play these top 25 teams, Maddie Hayden is always at the top of the performance charts. Uh, she does so many things well defensively. She's so fast on the base pass, and she doesn't strike out. You're always going to battle with that 300 mark, even against the top 25 teams. So right now in a situation we're in, like her comfort level and where she wants to be, where she feels comfortable on the field is my top priority. And and unfortunately for me, that's not third base. So I'm kind of, we're looking at different things. I think you'll see uh, Nick go back over to third tonight and uh, against McNeese. And we'll see Hayden out in the outfield. So, that could change. It could go on as we go through the season. We're not going to – until we find that winning combination, we'll just look at is basically where we're at. What does it look like? Uh, is it, uh, you know, 4-3, two, 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 one, or what, what is the plan for pitching tonight? Uh, I, you know what? Uh, I've been here in the office. And I haven't talked to Coach Justin this morning. I think that we'll start a pitcher and we'll probably roll with her as long as she goes good. But I, I'm not even sure right now what he's thinking and, you know, what his plan for tonight is. I, I, I'll meet with him here probably within the next hour. As far as Florida, um, you know, they're another team probably very similar to the range between an 8 and 12 ranked team like Texas. But in terms of what style of team do they have this year? Well, their weakness right now has been their pitching. They've not they've not pitched real well. If you look at their team ERA, it's a little bit three. That's very uncharacteristic and very unusual. But they've also had their number one uh, arm has been out, and she's back now. So I think that you know they're going to be a very good team this weekend. They got they got uh, they had a really rough week in uh, California two weeks ago when uh, Skylar Wallace, their leading hitter, was out, and uh, she's back. So. Um, you know, they're going to be tough. They always play great defense. They always, they're very aggressive on the base pass. He, uh, I think their team batting average is 378 this, this spring so far. So it's going to be a tough game for, for us, our tough set of games. But you just, in addition to playing a tough schedule, you're not getting many breaks with these, how, with these injured players coming back either. No, but we're, you know, this is part of the process. I'm on the radio. Uh, yeah, so, you know, we, we've had some injuries, but that's just part of the game. When you play the game hard, you're going to have a few injuries along the way. Um, so 
we'll just keep dealing with that. And that's given an opportunity. That that's, Injuries are bad in the sense that we lose a player or we lose availability. It's also good in the sense that it gives other players opportunity and that creates depth in the long run. And so injuries are something that we just – they're part of sports and we just have to go through and keep going. All righty, sir. We appreciate your time as always. Y'all hang in there. Good luck tonight against the Cowgirls. All right. Thank you, Kevin. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. If you would like to get in, lots to talk about. We just talked to UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow. and I, I think there is a fine line. You know, we talk about other sports. You play a really tough schedule. He's playing... I mean, I think statistically right now they've played the third toughest schedule in the country right now. And I, I like to see what the first and second toughest schedule. I don't know how you can play a tougher schedule than what they've played. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. The only thing I can think is maybe a team that uh, hasn't played any of the Tennessee Tech slash Tennessee State or whatever they're called. Yeah, they teams. played a couple. Like they played Lafayette. Yeah, and so those are lowering. You got to think too. You play one team in like the three hundreds or two hundreds. Yeah. That's going to lower the average by a good bit. So, so if instead of playing Lafayette, you played, you know, McNeese, who's good, not a power five, but a, you know, you play someone in that sixty to seventy range instead of someone two hundred, it makes it a little better. But man, not it's hard to get much tougher because again, they've played. Like one, two, three, four, seven, ten, twelve. I mean, it, it, it's just it's it's insane that they played. And again, it's all been, with the exception of the one LSU game at home, it's all been on the road. And, and so it, you know, you hope they, you know, they, you know, these are young girls, so it's not like uh, what's his name, the former. The former Somebody New Orleans know. Pelican, Hart. Josh Hart? Josh Hart's made a statement last night. He goes, look, we talk about like we're tired. I mean, he said there are people that wake up at 6 every morning and work for 10 or 12 hours doing some hard job. He said, we're playing basketball. I, mean, <laughs> I think a lot of people would probably echo that sentiment, but it's uh, it's interesting. But you know the funny thing, too, and I guess good news for the Cajuns, because we talk about the Sun Belt every year, and can someone challenge them? Texas State's 16-5, and five, and they're ranked 35th in the RPI. So now they've you've had some teams Texas State South Alabama's had a couple good. of years South Alabama's Coastal, good Coastal had a couple of years I don't think they're good this year but they had a couple of years where they challenged you and now again the new couple of the new teams could do it but yeah that my worry for them is it's again it's not getting easier like you go in this weekend and you're playing Florida who's seventeen and three or whatever they are and ranked eleventh and, and you're getting playing, healthier according to Coach yeah Glasgow. and then you're playing Rutgers who's I think sixteen and four and Rutgers isn't a ranked team they haven't beaten necessarily any of the top teams in the country but they're obviously not bad and they play in the Big Ten which has some good softball programs and 
I no, just worry I, I, for I them. I did as- a scan of the RPI yesterday, and there were quite a few Sunbelt teams between 50, like at least in the top 100. Yes, Troy is 59. They're 14 and 7. South Alabama is 62. They're 13 and 7. McNeese, who they're going to play tonight, not a Sunbelt team, but McNeese is thir- uh, ranked 70th in their RPI, 13 and 7. Marshall's 75th at 16 and 3. So, Wow. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time you had that many teams in the top 100. Now, it's still early, but the funny thing, too, is once you get to conference play, it doesn't necessarily lock in your RPI, but when you start playing your own conference, if all those teams have high RPIs, they're going to start playing each other and keep high RPIs, you know? So, again, if now, the problem with the Sun Belt, and this has been the problem in a lot of sports, usually they have a couple teams that are at the very bottom that drag yes. the rest of the conference down. So, hopefully, that's not the case this year, but yeah, to have five or six teams in the top 100 in the RPI, that's a great sign. A, maybe they'll actually get tested in conference play and lose some games or you know win some competitive games. And then B, maybe the RPI doesn't drop. And again, hosting, even though you've struggled with to win a lot of these games, hosting's still not outside of the realm of, of possibility here. No, I don't think it is. And again, I'm a, I. I guess you could say I, I, I still haven't abandoned the old thinking. You would love to have a year that's so good where you're hosting, but I don't I'd rather travel as a seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth seed than to host as a fifteenth or sixteenth seed. Because if you win the regional, then you're playing somebody that you probably can't beat in the super regional. Uh, I, I I still, still think the host. goal of this team it may not be for any other program, but I still think the goal for this program should be to get to Oklahoma City. So I understand you got to try to schedule to host a regional, but I'd rather travel if as a 17, 18, 19 seed than to host as a 15th or 16th seed. I, I understand that logic, but I, I think especially for how long it's been since they've won a regional. I think you host, you try to win your regional, and if you lose in the Supers, you go ahead and and move on to next season. But, by the way, I actually didn't get all the way down to the bottom of the top 100. There are eight Sunbelt teams. Right, that's what I told you. It was a pretty good number. I was surprised at how many were between like 80 and 100. So that is, I mean, that really kind of changes the perspective going into conference play, for me at least. Now, RPI can be a little misleading. That's not necessarily the best metric to you know talk about, but that tells you. And then how about another team that they're playing in non-conference play? They'll play Southeastern. Southeastern's 18-228 in the RPI. So, I mean, how about the year that Louisiana softball programs are having, by the way? But, again, that even though, and now, I don't know, you could look at this from a good thing or a bad thing. One thing was we thought maybe after this gruesome start to the schedule – they were going to have a few, you know, a month or two where they could kind of relax and get back into a groove in conference play. That might not be the case. You might be getting tested a lot more than we even thought. Now, I didn't know. I, I, I did see Southeastern, but but how are the Cajuns not higher than twenty three? Like with this brutal schedule they played, it's not like they have a losing record. Yeah, and I, that's it surprises me. And I think maybe some of that is is that the you're still just early enough to where some of this stuff hasn't settled itself out yet because you got to t- one of the teams in front of them central arkansas in the a sun conference cal state fullerton in the big west who's only 11 and 9 but i guess they've played a pretty tough schedule but how could they have played a tougher schedule i i just don't some of that I, again the rpi is not yeah a perfect i was magic. a little surprised that the cages rpi was as low as it was and it's not low you're but, right usually but, but i thought it would be in the top 20 
Yeah, I, I thought it would be as well. But usually, again, once you get get you about two, three weeks into conference play and relook at that RPI now that some of the conference opponents have been, and you'll have a, it'll be a little bit more stable. Uh, you, again, you're still not even at the halfway point in the season. But, um, yeah, the, the, this is the first time I've looked down. I, I had checked where UL was a couple of times, but I hadn't looked down at other Sunbelt teams and other Louisiana teams and just kind of the teams around the league. It's uh, – it's a different year. It's not something I'm used to seeing, uh, especially some of those teams like the uh, at the bottom of the Sun Belt. So um, again, that could be certainly advantageous to the their overall ranking. And again, I'm not really seeing. I'm looking at the bottom of the RPI and in that 250 and below range, I don't see anybody. Let's see the first team, Georgia State at number 239. So that's obviously not great, but even that, that's not. You know, you've got 361 teams, so it's not like the Sun Belt doesn't have anybody in the bottom 50. So. No, that that is good, and and hopefully, um, what's the old cliche that does not that which does not kill you makes you better. So hopefully, um, they don't get too way down. And he admitted that they might, you know, that that it's an issue, it's a concern, and hopefully, they can get reignited here. I think a win would help. Like if they could win. One of these games in Florida, and they've beaten Florida before. Um, that it would it would help a little bit, but yeah, it's um, it, 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 it's tough on this side of the fence. And to his point, McNeese is. N- I mean, they, you should know that by now. Like, like how could the baseball team overlook McNeese? I mean, that, again, that's the, these. There are some people that don't think history has anything to do with the present. But I just think that's faulty thinking. It's like I I understand baseball players are just, you know, 20, 19, 20, 21 year old men, but someone's got to tell them, like, McNeese has beaten you a lot over the years. Like, overlooking McNeese in baseball should never happen. Overlooking McNeese in softball should never happen. Now, you might lose, but to overlook them, I think it's just. It's silliness. It's foolishness. Um, uh, again, that that's just not learning from history. That's where you. That's where some people say, "Oh, I don't worry about history." That's we not we. I wasn't on that team. Well, that doesn't matter. I mean, like overlooking McNeese should never happen in baseball and softball ever. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote is a walking, talking encyclopedia of New Orleans Saints history. No. Seriously. After that is 2013, which I call the Forgotten Saints season because in so many people's mind, the Saints' streak of good football ended with the Bounty Gate season. And it's not just recent history either. In 88, they finished 10-6, and six, tied for first place in the division, did not make the playoff because they got cheated by a blind official named Fred Silver who absolutely cheated, uh, stole a game on Sunday night in a 13-12 loss to the Giants with his either blindness and ineptness or cheating or whatever you want to call it. I think he was just blind and senile. We return to the man who's forgotten more Saints history than you will ever know. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Guess what else is going on right now? What's that? Spring football. Yeah. Spring football began yesterday, and Dawson and I were both at uh, the Cajuns' first spring football press conference, and it was, um, you know, last year what happened was that the offensive line and, and and it's happened before, not just at UL, at a lot of schools, where you have so many injuries to the offensive line that you can't even hardly hold what we call a spring game or whatever, you know, whatever each individual program calls it. But it seems like the Cajuns are much better off at least starting spring. You know, hopefully you, you know, knock on wood, don't have any injuries during spring. So the offensive line is much more plentiful numbers-wise. Quarterback position, not so much right now. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's your big exception there. Yeah, yeah, the offensive line is better, but the quarterback position, not so much. In that Chandler, he said, feels has a non-football procedure that he's going to do. He's going to be back within a week. It's not a concern of of any kind. But for the first four or five days of practice, it might be somewhat of of an issue. Um and so Zeon Chris is really going to get a lot of work, you know, this first week of spring. I, uh, I, I, I remember last year when we interviewed Lance Lejeune for the first time, he was as, I don't know what word to use. It was just fascinating interview just to see how truly troubled he was at the whole and, um, you know, moving from quarterback to wide receiver, and it's just going to be fascinating to see how he does. He showed his potential in the Texas State game and in the bowl game. Like, you can see what Coach Dez and Coach Leger see in him and his potential. And Coach Dez said it again yesterday. He is absolutely convinced that Lance is going to be an NFL caliber receiver. Yeah, that was that was kind of my big takeaway from the whole press conference too, and because he started it off by mentioning some Wildcat stuff, so I actually asked him the question. I said, "Well, does that change any way about how you feel about receiver?" And he's he he said no in a hurry. He said, "No, no, no. He's he's still got a great shot to be wide receiver one." And he said, "Wildcat stuff just going to be extra because he's that good of an athlete." So they've got big plans for him, and and I don't blame him because we saw the flashes. It's just you hope that Lance can put it all together because. Uh, He's got a chance to be special. And Coach Dez said that he is going to get the first look probably to be the kick returner because Chris Smith is no longer here. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting too because, you know, for a while I kind of thought about like a Taysom Hill-like role. I don't throw that out there because he's not the same guy. He's not like the power runner that Taysom Hill would be or anything, but like a guy that you just want to use all over the field that Saints – you know, for a while, remember, he was – and they still put him on a punt block team. He runs kick return. He's on – every different thing, and that kind of felt like something you could maybe do with him. But if he's going to be your potential wide receiver one, like he's talking about, well, then you, you're going to be limited in what else you're going to do with him, right? Because if you're going to play him all the time at receiver, then maybe you're not. But 
That didn't sound like Coach Des has any concerns about that because he said he might be kick returning, playing Wildcat quarterback, and being wide receiver. You know, I, I don't know how much Wildcat quarterback and he'll be doing, especially if Zeon becomes the quarterback But uh, at any point. But – but I could see. I, I don't know that it would hurt him to return kicks, and he and if he and if he does well in the spring and shows that he gets it and he can do that, because uh, you know Lance said yesterday he has never done it in his life kick return. Um, so you know it's not probably quite as easy as oh you're a good football player go you know you're a good athlete go kick return it doesn't mean you're going to be good. Although I still waiting can't wait for that capsule. This was way before your time, but. Here, but I, you know, I used, to, I, I still say one day we're gonna have a capsule and we're gonna find out who really killed Kennedy. Although a lot of people feel like they know, and why did Reggie Bush never return kicks for the New Orleans Saints? I mean, th- we're gonna those two things that been troubling people for a long time. We, we're <laughs> gonna get that answer in a capsule. Uh, um, one day. Don't have that for you. I did. You know, he also talked about punt returner, and he he mentioned Jacob Bernard. I think that would be probably a pretty natural fit. I still, I think, and a lot of people think that slant that Bernard caught over the middle and kind of broke free and ran away from the defense last year is a is a play that kind of sticks out in my mind. And uh, he seems like a guy pretty sure-handed, maybe because uh, again, you're replacing one of the I would I would say one of the all-time great punt returners in Raging Cajun history. I don't think that's too much of a stretch with Eric Garrett. <coughs> no, so, he was good. Yeah. So, no, I, 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 you know, I, it was a good first presser and. You know, I, I still think there's a lot of questions about the defensive line and wide receiver, but I think they're very. There's just not a lot of experience at wide receiver. Like you're talking about Lance, if he fulfills his potential, which I don't put that past him. No, I'm not saying it may not. It's not going to happen. Um, he's still an inexperienced, very. He might one of the more un, inex, inexperienced QB. I mean, WR ones in the country, probably. Yeah, I think also it's time for I mean, Peter LeBlanc to step it back up and kind of return to form. I think that's pretty important, and I, I would I would expect he's going to be ready to do that. And, yeah, we, just, we saw a little Jacob Bernard, and then we're going to see some of the new guys. I'm they're sure. high on Charles Robertson. They're high on Jane Johnson, so we'll see what happens. So, All right, that's it for today. Y'all have a nice day.